This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. Look up today from the Young Turks, the David Packman Show, the Majority Report, This Week in Blackness, Counterspin, the Jimmy Dore Show, and Real Time with Bill Maher. And a note that listening to this episode in its entirety is mandatory, unless you don't want to, in which case you don't have to. CPAC is the gathering of conservatives that happens every year. It's uh, on its 40th year. Sarah Palin, Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan, Marco Rubio, Rand Paul, they're all there. And we've got them all for you. Uh, At least the ones that spoke on the first day were a hoot. Now, Mark Rubio is going to explain right in the beginning, hey, you know what? They're going to accuse us of not having ideas. But wrong again, Bob. Watch for this hilarious ending. What I've sensed from a lot of people that I've been talking to is this fear that somehow America has changed, that our people have changed, that we've reached this point in time and we have too many people in America that want too much from government, that maybe the changes that have happened are irreversible and that we'll never be the same again. I I want you to understand that that's not true. Now, as soon as I'm done speaking, I'll tell you what the criticism on the left is going to be. Number one, he drank too much water. Number two, that he didn't offer any new ideas. And there's the fallacy of it. We don't need a new idea. There is an idea. The idea is called America, and it still works. I love that for two reasons. One, they're going to accuse me of not having any new ideas, and they're so right, because I don't have them. You know what my idea is? This is my favorite part. America. (laughs) Oh, I, I, I didn't know that, dog. Okay, well, if you had that brilliant idea called America, well, then you got this thing covered. I don't know what I was talking about. And then I'm going to go on to uh, talk about Rand Paul next. He's got some new ideas, too, kind of. The GOP of old has grown stale and moss-covered. The Republican Party has to change by going forward to the classical and timeless ideas enshrined in our Constitution. It's time for us to revive Reagan's law, for liberty to expand Government must shrink. We must have a message that is broad. Our vision must be broad. And that vision must be based on freedom. Oh, freedom! That's your new idea. America and freedom. (laughs) What a bunch of goofballs. And I love, no, we've got to broaden out and have new way forward. And so the new way forward is Reagan. I don't know if you know this, Reagan is dead. Okay, I got bad news for you. Eh, it's in the past, it's not going forward. They got nothing, man. Rand Paul is back to making no sense at all. You know what? And we have a new idea, it's called liberty. Wow, okay, I didn't see that coming. Now, Pat- I thought an interesting comment was made when somebody said to me, I heard somebody say, now where's Mandela? Well, Mandela's dead. Why don't you go back to George W. Bush? By the way, you know why they always mention Reagan? Because they're so embarrassed about every other Republican president. They hate George H.W. Bush, although I thought he did a, a middling job, much better than the other Republicans, but they hate him. George W. Bush was a national and international embarrassment. Left office was so, with literally the lowest approval ratings of any president. Truman and him were competitive when they left, right? And then... When you go back further, Nixon. Ford, who pardoned Nixon and did nothing else. They got nothing. Ah, oh, remember that great actor? 
Ah, oh, and he, he wore cowboy hats and did great commercials about morning in America. I love that guy. Uh, my new idea, Reagan plus America plus liberty. What now? Michelle Bachman running away from a reporter. This is really funny. She made the following comments at CPAC. Um, and then she, when she, let, let's play the comments first, Lewis. New book is out talking about the perks and the excess of the $1.4 billion a year presidency that we're paying for. And this is a lifestyle that is one of excess. Now we find out that there are five chefs on Air Force One. There are two projectionists who operate the White House movie theater. They regularly sleep at the White House in order to be readily available okay. in case the so first family... So she said that, and then she also said that there's someone who's specifically hired to walk the dog, to, to walk President Obama's dog. And uh, then we have the video of Dana Bash trying to talk to Michelle Bachman about it. And it is so funny. They're running around, and they're both out of breath. Like, Michelle Bach, it's literally like a race. It's like a race for the interview. It's incredible. And they always do this where they, they act like they're in a really big rush, so they can't talk to the reporter, but they continue talking. Take a look at this. It's amazing. What I want to ask you about is the fact that you said that he had, you talked about the excesses <laughs> that he's engaged in, the fact that he has a dog walker, which is not true. The, the big point of my speech was about Benghazi. This was an absolute disaster. But you also made specific accusations said, about the, the president so spending start money that other presidents also so made. The real issue is there are four Americans that are dead. The Secretary of State was not in conversation <laughs> with the Secretary of Defense or with the Chair wait, of the wait, Joint what? Chiefs of Staff. In a trance. I think that's an she important point. There. I think and that's an important, important point, but this is, is another... The President of the United States <laughs> didn't care... About what about the dog walker, Michelle? What about the killed. dog walker? That's the point. And if you've got to focus... But if you want to focus on that, then what... That's it, Dana. So now we're off and running again. dog handlers, and there's four Americans but, killed? But, but, but Congresswoman, you're, but you're the one who brought it up. These Americans. You're the one who brought it up. How dare Dana Bash ask her about comments about dog handlers when something happened in Benghazi, which she still believes is a conspiracy. Well, Michelle, you brought it up, and now you're running away and criticizing my question about dog handlers. What a bizarre situation. And the, the panting and the out-of-breath walking around just adds to the, to the bizarre nature. They should hire me to do this. I can keep up with those politicians all day. If I were in that situation, I have to admit, I would exaggerate how out-of-breath I am, just for effect, because it would just make it way funnier, the, the idea that I'm out-of-breath trying to trying try to catch up with I'd the run circles around her literally <laughs> just run and scare each place we go okay what what do you think is the best thing of the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to to somebody who listens or watches because we cover everything and we do it well <laughs> why do you think people watch the show 
I think that it's a completely different angle. I don't think it's about being expansive or up to date. I think it's 99% of media that's out there is giving one story, it's giving a particular point of view, and it's also not covering certain stories. So I don't know that it's about being up to date or expansive. I think it's it's a well, non. Well, that's what I said. We cover everything. Well, we don't cover everything, Lewis. How can we cover everything? We cover eight to ten stories. Everything important, pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out the David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. They've actually kind of already had their reckoning electorally. It's just they don't know it. Uh, and, you know, so I want to talk a little bit about last week's CPAC convention uh, and, and then, draw, then jump into uh, uh, just actually connect these two questions because I'm interested, you know, sort of wrapping up with your insights on both of these things. So CPAC happens, uh, basically, you know, a are you tired of being called a racist panel, which is hilarious in and of itself, degenerated into a racist slavery thing. was good hey, slavery was good. yeah so that might be a tip of getting that might be a reason they played music for you sometimes yeah <laughs> they played here and there yeah. you're able to go to the bathroom in a closed environment exactly. i mean what the hell more could you want i don't frankly? know i feel like we get this is a whole new thing i never thought of it that way like i always felt guilty when i bought like sh- sneakers made by chinese sweatshop labor but now i realize of course the kids should be thanking you're uh, housing and yeah. feeding those kids exactly i've been looking i'm just crazy how i've been looking at the world so anyways and, and sarah palin was up there and she you know she made a birther joke and she drank soda and you know and all the rest and blah 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 now now okay so there's all this kind of clown shows happening the rnc releases a report their kind of autopsy as to why they did so badly and what i find so interesting about this this report is they note some of the problems. Like, we're not doing well with women. We're not doing well with Hispanics, African Americans. Now, we just I, need to be better about communicating our message to them that they exa- suck. And this is exactly the point. So last week, I did a little riff, and I said, look, you know, this is sort of some political history, but, you know, in the 1980s, Democrats, and maybe we like some of the consequences, maybe we don't like some of the consequences, but the reality is when people like Bill Clinton and Al Gore, you know, established things like the Democratic Leadership Council in the third way, this was like a genuine policy shift. It just seems like they're going into another attempt at rebranding, at putting a different face on it. There's no fundamental rethinking of anything going on, even in the autopsy yeah. report. I mean, look, you're right. The, the thing is, is when I had this, this um, I had a conversation with my wife about the other day, you know, she has worked in politics and policy for a long time, too. Um, and, and you know, we were kind of going over all this, and essentially the, the way I see it uh, from my viewpoint is, you know, when you bring up the DLC and other groups like that, the problem for the left in the 1970s and 80s Frankly, on social issues, and a lot of it was social, you know, some were economic too, but is we were too far ahead of everybody else. Right. So the vast center of the country, and I don't mean like centrist as it's described in Washington, you know, uh, I mean the vast sort of people that fall between the poles and, and have a whole variety of positions, not one sort of position, but feel differently on a variety of issues. They, they, when they looked at both sides, you know, basically they came down more with the guys on the right. That was closer to their thinking than people on the left. And that was a problem for the left. It wasn't a problem morally because, as we know, we've been, whether it's our positions on, on wars like the one in Iraq or whether it's our positions on gay rights or whatever it is, history has borne out that we are always right and they're always wrong. 
And it will continue to do that because they're stupid people who are wrong. Um, (laughs) Bigoted, closed-minded, obnoxious, rural, white losers. That's what they are. You can quote me. Um, I will. But I love it. Um, but uh, now you have a similar situation. You have sort of the polar mirror opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And what that is is basically the right, which has hung out in the, in the 1850s, has gotten so far behind where we are that they're where the left was. And again, I'm not comparing the two positions morally. No, just I, yeah, I in, a, yeah. in the polar relationship to the vast middle of the electorate, now the right... Is, is, is just they're, they're, you can't bridge that gap in the way that they are trying to by just faking it because they're alienating everybody else. But they're you know, and, and I, I make that little joke about white guys and whatever. And obviously, look, I'm a white guy. I'm joking. But yeah, older, rural, you know, conservative, more more religious, gun owning white guys. They're driving the train right now. And the truth is, is that most other members of our society don't see things the way they do. Right. And thankfully for us, their demographic is dying off and ours is growing. So that is their problem. So, they, so it's sort of like, you know, to, to, to further upset Sarah Palin and be the sexist I am, it's just lipstick on a pig. Um, and, uh, you know, because that phrase, of course, was made up just to insult Sarah Palin in a sexist way. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's my sidebar for right now. But, but no, I mean, you know, that, that's, that's really, I mean, they, they, they are, I will admit, trying to change the one way meaningfully it seems like they're trying to do anything is on immigration, where even Rand Paul has now come out. And I think their position is going to be, we already have it, we already have amnesty, this is better. I mean, they'll try to message it as best they can. They're going to try to do something on immigration. My guess is it won't be as good as anything that we would want. But they realize no, that, um, especially with Hispanics, man, they're dead in the water. No, they're going to they, try to pivot on that in a big way. I mean, Texas, Georgia, Arizona, one or two cycles away become swing states if they don't fix that problem. North Carolina, Virginia, Florida become unwinnable for them. I think they see that. Um, so they're trying on that. But the truth is is that they still have this bigoted core. They're, they're, their statewide candidate, there's a good chance that their statewide candidate in Georgia is going to be Paul Brown. Right. He is a crazy person. So when I say crazy person, I mean like son of Sam almost. <laughs> I mean, he is somebody that said evolution came from the pits of hell. Like background checks were invented for that guy. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I mean, like, the, 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 of course he doesn't want background checks because there are background checks. They probably not only would you take away his gun, you'd take away his car keys, his right to carry sharp objects, so maybe his ability to leave really his home without monitoring guy. with an ankle bracelet. <laughs> so he's running. You know, he's gonna. He's there's a good chance he's gonna be their statewide candidate for the Senate. There's a good chance that Steve King is gonna be their statewide candidate for the Senate in Iowa. Right. I mean, these are two absolute lunatics. Right. So the the problem is, and you know, they what can they do in the these people that support those lunatics? They can't. And and I don't. I mean, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to me to see how they try to. Be, I mean, Rand Paul can try what he wants, and these guys can try what they want, but they're still going to lose the Paul Browns. And you already see Rand Paul's fighting back and forth with Ann Coulter. There's also the whole entertainment complex. Right. And those guys are sick, evil people of the kind that enjoyed what you know went on in Abu Ghraib. And I'm not exaggerating because Rush Limbaugh thought it was funny and made jokes about what went on in Abu Ghraib. They're really sick, psychologically demented people. And they enjoy 
they enjoy, you know, exerting their power over others. They enjoy torturing, whether it's physically or mentally. If you don't think they enjoy controlling the Republican Party, that they're just going to give it up, no matter the electoral consequences, they're not going to do that. Right. Um, and the irony is, is that what Ann Coulter said, in a way, I hate to give Ann Coulter credit or anything, was, was actually kind of true. They're damned either way. They can't win. If they block uh, immigration reform, which they may well do, they're screwed. If they support it, well, they don't support most other things. The, 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 here's the little secret that they don't seem to get when they try to pretend that otherwise Hispanics would love us. Hispanics, like all these other parts of the growing coalition we've talked about, as a general, again, you know, I have to generalize here. There's different types of groups. There's Puerto Ricans. There's Cubans. I don't want to. But if we're looking at it overall as a pollster would, Overall, more in favor of passing more stringent gun regulations, more pro-choice. Yes, that's right, folks. They are than the population. Well, as a and whole. certainly more like universal health care, education spending, and all of those other everything economically yeah, more and more and more against absolutely. foreign invasions. Point being, you, they're 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 still a key democratic demographic, growing one, no matter what the right does. So by 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 passing reform that will allow more of more of them to vote, they lose too. Absolutely. So, and, and Ann Coulter pointed that out, and I hate to admit it, she's right. But the, I, I think that they, they they're screwed no matter what they do. Even it's a, most even recently shown by Jeb Bush's book that came out where he can't figure out what the hell his position is on immigration. Even a clock on lithium is right twice a day. Exactly. Oh, even my, my George Bush on lithium in a bathtub <laughs> painting himself naked uh, is right here and there about immigration. Right. And yet, still, his party's not going to be able to figure it out. So. That's where they are, and and and, and that and you know that's the answer to the big question. And it's that way I, on guns, and it's that way on abortion rights and contraception, and it's that way on raising the minimum wage and on protecting Social Security and on expanding Medicare. They're wrong on all of that. Their whole their demographic is wrong on everything, and all these other groups: college educated whites, single women, um, even non college educated uh, non college educated and married women are moving away from them. I mean, seriously, they're they're. They're centered on this one demographic. You can call it the Fox News demographic. It's the same reason Fox News is, is, is losing ratings. Because unless you come up with some, something that allows old white rural guys to live to their 120, Fox is going to lose ratings. Georgia City Council votes to require gun ownership. Yeah. Wait, I'm sorry, what? The City Council in a small North Georgia town voted Monday night to make gun ownership mandatory unless you object. Council members at Nelson, a city about 1,300 residents that's located 50 miles of North Atlanta, voted unanimously to approve the Family Protection Ordinance. The measure requires every head of household to own a gun and ammunition to provide for the emergency management of the city and to provide for the and protect the safety and security of and general welfare of the city and its inhabitants. Time to move. 
They said not that every household must go out and purchase a gun. The ordinance exempts convicted felons. Oh, thank you so kindly uh, for not making me break the law in some way. Or, or, and those who suffer from certain physical and mental disabilities, as well as anyone who objects to gun ownership. <laughs> the ordinance also doesn't include any penalty for those who don't comply. So basically, you're just being dicks. Yeah, so you don't have to buy a gun if you don't want to. But you have to buy a gun. But you have to buy a gun. Right. It's on the record. You buy a gun. That you that you need to, and if you don't buy a gun, there's no penalty. You, you know what? I want to see how say I want to see their crime rates. I wouldn't. I mean, if they're all gonna, if everyone's gonna be armed to the teeth, then isn't it just like an anthropological study or whatever? Just you know, we're looking at what happens if everybody's armed because we people have people that talk about it. I feel like I, I blue in the face. I feel like I I, I actually uh, like like I I, I might have been like there. Like I almost feel like as if I I heard exactly what was happening in that room. I feel as if it was it, it, it was like almost psychically pushed into my brain. Like someone's like, all right, guys, I got an idea. Why don't we make a mandatory? It's about own guns. <laughs> but, sir, I don't think we can make that. Okay, 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 okay. But, okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll do. Why do we, 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 it's mandatory unless you have some sort of mental disability. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you are some sort of convicted convict. Um, but what, what if you just don't want to own a gun? We, this is America. We can't force me. All right, all right, all right, all right. I got an idea. What if we make it mandatory? But it's not really mandatory. <laughs> Why don't we make it mandatory, but not really mandatory? So it's on, on our record, it says that that's mandatory, but not, but not really mandatory. So then, so then, what happens? Nothing. We go about our business. <laughs> We've just been sitting around. We go there, but like, but now, now we are on the record, so that they can't take our guns away because they're trying. <laughs> and try because to get the make it everybody have a gun. So we're gonna make everybody have a gun unless you don't really want to have a gun, then you don't have to have a gun. But everybody have to have one. Yeah, I mean, but I, listen. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm telling you, that's the exact conversation, and I'm, I, I would bet money that that's exact, that's the conversation that happened, and that's the voice that the guy had. <laughs> well, cause I mean, they can't, and the thing is, guns aren't like $10. Guns are expensive. So you're going to force someone to fork over like $350 for a Glock? Oh, God, I'll just explain to you, madam, that you don't actually have to buy it. But you just have to have one. You just don't have to have one. <laughs> I just, I thought I'd just explain it. I don't understand. This is crystal clear. <laughs> so are you going to give away guns to people who don't have them? What? But would like to comply with the law? That's socialism. <laughs> <laughs> God, commercial. <laughs> Alright, too commercial. That's not, not, not socialism. I don't believe in socialism. I'm just saying that. You have to have a gun. <laughs> Unless you don't want to have one, then you don't have to have one. <laughs> but it's mandatory. America! <laughs> Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. That's just so 
impressive and Aaron's cool and collected. So if you want to know where the Syriacs is on TWYB, get connected. Former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford, whose career was stalled by an extramarital scandal, is now favored to win an April 2nd GOP runoff election for Congress. His comeback has prompted media coverage about how unlikely it is, considering he's a Republican running in a party we're told is steeped in so-called family values. NBC's Today Show called Sanford's re-entry, quote, a chance for an unlikely comeback, close quote. An ABC News Online report called the primary Sanford's, quote, first test in what might be a political comeback for the ages, close quote. But these journalists are misunderstanding the rules of political redemption in U.S. politics and assuming that since the GOP spent so much time preaching social conservatism, that Republican polls who violate these preachments must pay a greater price than less moralistic Democrats. It's not true. Take thrice-married serial philander Newt Gingrich, a respectable 2012 GOP primary candidate, or married prostitute patron Dick Morris, one of Fox's favorite guests. Or Senator David Vitter, whose political career was uninterrupted after he admitted to consorting with prostitutes. The list is long. Contrast that with the careers of Democrats like Elliot Spitzer and Anthony Weiner, whose political careers are truly dead. Or former Democratic presidential candidates John Edwards and Gary Hart, whose political fortunes are really most sincerely dead. A hint into the rationale behind the double standard isn't Sanford's allusion to a Christian god of second chances. But such redemption is apparently only available to those who belong to the family values tribe. So Mark Sanford's comeback is only unlikely if one doesn't understand the double standard, the culture of permissiveness, if you will, that operates in the media and the GOP when it comes to conservatives' moral failings. She's a you-know-what He'll hang out at bars and shoot pool with his friends The girl's supposed to be at home awaiting on him So listen up, girls, you know it's true We can't get by with half they do A guy's having fun if he drinks too much Let a girl go and do it, they call her a lush People talk about us when we So if you're like me, you're constantly paying attention to South Carolina politics. And if you're also like me, you often find yourself wondering, seriously, why are the South Carolina politics more dysfunctional than the Tribal Council and Lord of the Flies? <laughs> well, I think I might have the answer. South Carolina has no effing self-awareness whatsoever. Witness uh, former Governor Mark Sanford. Sanford. He was, you know, he was once considered a strong contender for the presidency, and uh, and he was a, and after that he was he was governor, Governor Sanford. He was uh, considered a strong contender to continue being Governor Sanford until he disappeared for several days to spend time with his mistress in Argentina, a romantic weekend paid for by the taxpayers of South Carolina. Oh, and of course he's a family values Jesus type fella, like all Republicans who get caught with their pants down, right? So uh, and. I'll give you one more example of dysfunctional South Carolina politics. How about former Senator Jim DeMint, who never met an extreme right-wing position he didn't like? 
Remember, this is the guy who says gays and sexually active unwed women should not be allowed to be teachers. Okay? He's great, Jim DeMint. Well, <laughs> two years two years into his third term, DeMint decided he didn't want to be a senator anymore, and no one in South Carolina said, hey, thanks for wasting our time and money, you douchebag. So he went off to become president of the Heritage Foundation, because why just be a clown of insane thinking in the Senate when you can be the head of the whole circus of insane thinking? Am I right? <laughs> the money's better. It is I, I, I have a question going back to the thing with DeMint. Is he okay with sexually uh, uh, sexually active Wed uh, teachers, <laughs> students. Are you okay with that? Maybe he's okay. Yeah, if you're if you're married, uh, maybe that, and you're sexually active, that's okay. Then you can then you can bang the chemistry class. I think so. So the reason, well, the okay. reason why I bring up Jim Dement and all this stuff is because South Carolina has had to put together a special election to fill a congressional seat because the old congressman was appointed to Jim Dement's Senate seat. See what I'm saying? So re-enter Mark Sanford who just handily won the Republican nomination for that uh, race, right? Sometimes when I hear reports from the South Carolina political scene, I would swear I can hear banjos in the background. <laughs> okay, so here is Mark Sanford the other day at his victory speech. If you could see this, he's standing on a platform with his three children behind him, and, well, here we go. I thank you, uh, I guess, to my fiance Belen, who's right here behind me, for her long suffering as she put up with uh, me being on the road for more than just a few months, um, and I thank you for that as well. Yes, he yeah. just introduced Maria Beladen, what's his mistress from Argentina, who is now his fiance. Wow, Governor, are you standing on a ladder, or are those your... <laughs> Sanford and Buns. In fact, <laughs> he's doing this in front of his children. You're going to call your fiance long suffering in front of your children, unlike your children's mother, who actually did suffer for a long time? <laughs> Also, she should be nervous because, you know, last time he went on the road, he ditched his wife. Yeah, so. ex exactly. Yes, exactly. You, you, you know what, though? I'll tell you something. If you think about this, think about what the Republicans are trying to do, right? They're trying to reinvent themselves. You know, there's, this, there's this whole uh, power struggle between the, the centrists and the far right. So now you've got a guy like Sanford, and, and uh, all kidding aside, you've got a guy like Sanford who a, he's a, he's a, he cheated on his wife, like, he's almost become like a Democrat in their eyes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. He now becomes an electable person in the new Republican Party. Oh, I see. I see hmm. what you're saying. That makes sense. Yeah. See you know what I'm saying? Hey, you know, I, went out, I, I met a chick from wherever she's from, Argentina. I'm cool. Yeah. I'm cool. I'm, I'm a Democrat, kind of. Right. Yeah. Oh, he must be. Mo he's moderate. <laughs> right. but, but if he still has the same hypocritical uh, right wing values, so, I'm willing so to uh, bang a Latina. Yeah, so see, that shows that I'm. I, that's exactly right. That's, mm -hmm. that's my point. I'm willing to bang a Latina. I can't. I, but I, I really can't get over the fact that he's thanking. His his the woman the reason why he had to leave his wife mm -hmm. the, his the in front of his kids mm. she's on stage with him and she's like oh that you know it, meanwhile his wife mm -hmm. is at home actually suffering mm -hmm. because he's sitting there with Ava Perone <laughs> I don't know I, I blame his wife for all this aha why couldn't she be someone else yes why couldn't she be from Argentina <laughs> why couldn't she be younger. So here is uh, so I'm going to play this back again and I'm going to stop and start it for a second, okay? I thank you, uh, I guess, to my fiance Belen, who's right here behind me for her. Yeah, for uh, for putting up with my lying, hypocritical douchebaggerness, but agreed to marry me so I could run for office again. Thank you. <laughs> the only way I could do it yeah. was to get married. 
Yeah, I, okay. Here we go. And he's standing there pretending like it's totally normal to have his sons alongside the woman who humiliated their mother. Hmm. Are they good sports or what, those kids, huh? <laughs> yeah. That's not, that's not enough for you. Remember that this is the guy who, as rich as he is, gave his wife a Christmas present consisting of a drawing he made of a bicycle that she asked for. That's wow. right. That's approaching Ronnie Spector long suffering. <laughs> I hope he paid her alimony. And so, and yes, and I, and guess what? So, with his out of whack, uh, with his out of wedlock F partner behind him, here he tries to play the Christian card. Ready? Here he goes, playing the Christian card. Stanford now. Um, you know, I used to cringe when somebody would say, "Okay, I want to thank my God." It was at that point, okay, this is getting uncomfortable. But once you've really received God's grace and seen it reflected in others, you cannot stop and stop for a moment and publicly acknowledge that grace and that difference he's made in my life and he's making in so many lives uh, across this state, across this nation, and certainly in this campaign. And while God may be a God of second chances, at times voters... Yes, yes, I'm sure God saves all his best second chances for philandering governors who spend their public's money banging their girlfriends. Yes, God is saving, sure. That because, is he, because even God knows, Steve, that sometimes you just got to bust a nut. <laughs> <laughs> God is great. God's grace gave him a piece of Argentinian ass. Yes. Yes. I every, pray for that, too. Every night I prayed to God that you'd buy this forgiveness horse. <laughs> and sure enough, you guys did. Well, it's working. I like how he goes, I used to cringe when people thanked God. But I cringed even harder at the thought of having to get a real job. <laughs> that sucks. Okay, and you have to give him credit for playing the Christian card in South Carolina, of all places, where people aren't likely to fall for it. <laughs> okay. You're on thin ice there. It's crazy. He thinks not God. a lot of religious people down there. Who's so he, really... Who is his God, Zeus? Because that's the only one who'd be down with this kind of shenanigan, honest. <laughs> Pretty sure the southern fried fire and brimstone God and or Jesus would not arrange for you to cheat on your wife and remain a beloved public figure. So this is back in 97. Uh, this is what... Mark Sanford, let's remind everybody the colossal D-bag that Mark Sanford is. Here he was back in 1997 talking about Bill Clinton at the time. We remember his problems, right? What the American public cares about is, is the issue of integrity and the issue of trust. Because if they don't trust their lawmaker, they won't trust the laws that the lawmakers create. Okay, so it's all about trust. And if mm. the people don't trust, they're not going to trust the laws that they create. So let's vote for Governor Swinging. Because he looks just as good as anybody. <laughs> what? It's, it's, you know, I think on South Carolina's license plates, it says, South Carolina, we don't get it. Let me play. Here's what Joe Scarborough uh, had to say about uh, Mark Sanford. Here's, here's Joe Scarborough talking about Mark let's, Sanford. Let's talk, um, Walt, we were saying earlier about Mark Sanford. As uh, I'm sure he, he's, because I know Mark, he's never talked to a crisis management expert in his life, I'm sure. But he did exactly what the best in the business would tell you, which is get it all out there. I remember this rambling interview he gave to an AP reporter where he said, this is who I am. This is what I did back when the scandal first yeah. broke. I thought he was crazy. It ended up people liking for it, just throwing everything out there and saying, I'm a human. I screwed up. I'm frail. 
Yeah, yeah, he did everything right. He really did, Joe. He wagged his finger at people cheating on their wives. Then he started cheating on his wife. Then he spent government money to enable his extramarital affair in another country. Then he started lying about it. Then he kept lying about it. Then refused to end his affair, so his wife had to leave him. And then he stayed with his mistress. And then right after that, he did everything right. Sounded like the perfect candidate to me. Perfect candidate. I'd like it. I'm human, I'm screwed up, I'm frail, and that's why I should be your next congressman. <laughs> and here is the worst Democrat since Strom Thurmond to tell what an exemplary guy the biggest public liar in South Carolina is. Here's Harold Ford, ladies huh. and gentlemen. Larry, here's what he has to say about Mark Sanford. I agree with, with Mark. You know, I, I like second chances in life, second chances in politics. Mark and I served in Congress together along with you. I yep. liked him then. We didn't agree on, uh, on on a lot of issues, but you have to admire the way he's conducted himself and, more importantly, how he's taken head on uh, what many people in life would have a hard time taking head on. Him and his family, so I can wish him congratulations on how he's conducted himself in his campaign. All right, Mike. Okay, that's... Wow. that's you, would think, you would think this guy beat cancer. Yeah. The way just thought. <laughs> That's a perfect way to put it. He met it head on. Yes. It wasn't easy for him to bang a beautiful woman from South America, but he did it. We can all admire him for that. He did it. He got away with it. And uh, now he's going to be a congressman. It's really tough. It's a tough road. He's had to. My hat is off to him. He's had to hoe, and I say hoe without the the E at the end. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. I really admire Mark Sanford's done because I'm totally corrupt and full of s, too. (laughs) You know Mike Barnacle, right? So Mike Barnacle. Uh, he's fascinated, fascinated by his uh, Mark Sanford's honesty. Ready? Here we here we go. Here's here's Mike Barnacle talking to Mark Sanford. Mark, Mark, let's if we can talk about the value of honesty among politicians and in campaigns. I think a lot of people, no matter where they are in the ideological spectrum, were struck by your honesty. Uh, a few years ago, when basically you said, you know, we, you went walking on the Appalachian Trail, but you fell in love. So you're out of public office. So when you make the decision to re-enter the fray, was there any fear of that honesty coming back and playing a perilous role in your political future? Uh, no, <laughs> no, Mike. I'm not worried about my honesty hurting my career, so as long as I don't make a habit out of it. <laughs> it ends as soon as I'm elected. Refresh, refresh my memory. Didn't he lie until he finally had to admit it? Yes, he lied and lied. He said he was on the Appalachian Trail. Right. Yes, he was lying, and then a reporter... Is that a euphemism for, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> that my, my... Yeah, I'm on the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> and I don't, you, you, have, you have to say it like that, by the way. Right, right, and right. And you can't see it in this video clip, but Mark Sanford is wearing very comfortable walking shoes because you know it's going to be a walk in the park. <laughs> he's not worried about Barnacle No, he's, Mike Barnacle is no. fascinated by honesty because he's gone his whole career without any. <laughs> You know Mike Barnacle is the plagiarizer who ripped off George Carlin, right, Mark? No. Yeah, so Mike Barnacle, that's why we give him a hard time, because he got Mm -hmm. caught plagiarizing from brain droppings. He literally Mm -hmm. got caught, I think it cost him his job, didn't it? To write his column for the Globe. Yeah, Yeah, and he literally got caught plagiarizing George Carlin's book. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he still doesn't, he's still on the TV, and he's still fascinated by the honesty that the biggest liar in South Carolina has exempt. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't, he can't find words to express his admiration for Sanford because somebody else didn't already write it for him. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to steal from people is really what... what ah, yes. 
Governor, I'm going to give you all the dignity and prestige that that powerful men who cheat on their wives deserve. Thank you for being on Morning Jeff. I didn't know this guy existed before today. Hold on, let's let, let let's get, let's get some hot force crazy. to have a civilian force equal in strength to the military, and so this buying of guns wholesale and buying of ammunition in astronomical amounts indicates that the Obama administration is proceeding apace uh, with that goal in mind. Now. If they really want to provoke a, a, a confrontation, a violent confrontation, I can't think of a better way than to try to go door-to-door -door and confiscate guns. They'll get what? a few at the beginning, but what? it won't go well if they continue. What? And I, I think the only conclusion one can draw is, that may be what they are looking for. What? They want to provoke something, and, you know, what's a few police to uh, make it look like those hot-headed uh, militia guys are at it again? Well, do you think, and we'll get everyone's response, do you think that that the Obama administration, starting with Obama and all the other people in that administration, believe that the American people... Uh, will accept the uh, the uh, use of strength, be it the military or, or non-military, to forcibly disarm and in the process uh, hurt, kill, uh, imprison, uh, not one, not a hundred, but thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of Americans. Why? Do you really think they think that will be able to move forward? What's happening? <laughs> well, they may well believe their own uh, ideology quite in a thoroughgoing fashion. And if so, then I think they might assume that, well, uh, if the president has said something, that makes it law. And therefore, uh, uh, that would give them, they think, the psychological edge because resisting their orders would be uh, breaking the law. Uh, and by the way... Apparently this conversation, I, I, I grabbed this, uh, looking for more Solomon dude, uh, this, the, the, the title of this post, uh, was Gun Activists Warn Obama is Raising a Private Black Army to Massacre White Americans. Yeah, I wasn't, yeah. I, I said it um, a few times on the programs, and I was, and I wasn't lying or making nothing up. This is just the, it's Have just, you guys, have you guys ever, I don't know uh, driven across the country? No, no, we are black. You are crazy. Well, no, I, yeah, I, 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 I would, but I just, I just, I just no. haven't because I, I don't drive and I don't think I like anyone else to be in a car with them across the country. Well, I listen. I, when when my husband and I first moved to New York, we drove from Los Angeles to uh, the great state of New York, and we drove through a large swath of these United States of America. And there are places 
where all you can get really is AM radio and AM talk radio. And if your iPod is dead or it's in a time before iPods existed, you've only got the radio. And this stuff, I mean, the dial is full of this. Full. And it's not just like this, this sort of extreme sort of snapshot of talking about gun rights and conspiracy theories and Illuminati's, but throw some Jesus in there and I mean, you could be entertained for hours. This is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I didn't understand. I didn't understand. Was this real? I did not understand. Yeah, this oh, real. it's I'm, real. I'm uncomfortable with all of it, all of it, all of it. And this guy. And by the way, this this whole race war thing. Apparently, this is what this is how they roll. Like they're pitching this race war thing real heavy, real real heavy. Prime example. We're we're up against people who know exactly what they want to do and how they want to do it. We've had four years to watch them when they were somewhat guarded, but now, um, certainly for Obama, uh, he doesn't care, and he, you can tell already <clears throat> he's making his moves, and it's not going to be pretty. And I, I, I'm getting this sense, and, and certainly uh, Greg, and I'm sure Stan, you've heard it um, as well. There are more. I, I've never heard so many people talk about. Uh, the fact that they think that there's inevitably going to be some kind of social implosion, some kind of neighbor against neighbor, uh, that th- these folks in power are seeking that kind of a confrontation. What? And that uh, it would be a-, a wonderful surprise if it did not happen. What? Well, let me take that. I, I said on this show on a couple of occasions, that I believe that in the year 2013, we're going to see a, a, an explosion of attacks on haves by have-nots, but specifically on white haves by oh black have-nots, and I'm more done. specifically on <laughs> Christian heterosexual white haves by black Muslim and or atheists, not that there's much difference, uh, blacks have not. Now, that's being whatever, but it's just what I see. I believe if you are a white person in this country, and I, I this, by the way, holds for all quality people of any color, but I'm saying specifically, if you're a white, heterosexual, Christian, working, married person, if you don't have a gun, on you, know how to use it, and make sure that everyone in your family who's of age has a, a weapon and knows how to use it, there's at least a substantial chance that you and or some member of your family will be hurt and or killed. Okay, guys, listen. Everybody must have a gun. Everybody must have a gun. Everybody must have a gun unless you do not want to have a gun, then you do not have to have one, except for the fact that everyone must have one. Protect yourself from the blacks. The black people coming. The black people are coming. There is a war coming. The black people are coming. Just don't come to our town because we're all armed unless you don't want to be armed. Unless you don't want to be armed. <laughs> and then it's your ass. <laughs> so because the blacks and Muslims and the atheists are going <laughs> to... No, swarm. and let's be clear that the blacks and Muslims and the atheists, I mean, there's no real big difference between no, any no, of them. No, 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 no. I was listening to the Solomon Show, and, uh, 
He was explaining to me how the blacks are coming for us. We need guns. It must be mandatory that we all have guns. Unless you don't want to have guns, then you don't have to have guns. Unless you have to have one. It's like it's like if if Bill Cosby were a Muppet and on the extreme other side of rationality and reason. <laughs> I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm talking about I'm talking about the Negro menace. The Negro menace that's coming. That's why Obama's trying to take out guns. That's why we have the mandate that we everyone has a gun. Unless you don't want one. Unless you don't want that. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. If your conservative advocacy group is demanding that Geico pull this ad because the depiction as a joke, of course, of a woman on a date with a cartoon pig might encourage bestiality. <laughs> While you're also demanding that Skittles remove this ad where a woman kisses a walrus because it may, yes, you guessed it, encourage bestiality. You have to ask yourself this. Aren't you thinking a little too much about bestiality? <laughs> I mean, seriously, if I'm the depraved Hollywood liberal, how come when I see these ads, I don't think, oh, bestiality, you forbidden fruit, how you tempt me? <laughs> Not even a little. But you, wholesome Christian do-gooder, see this and think, please, Jesus, give me the strength to not fuck my cat. <laughs> now... I only bring this up because the Christian pressure group responsible for protesting these ads is called One Million Moms. And they are an example of a much larger problem we need to deal with, a problem I call shit-kicker inflation. <laughs> which is the phenomenon of all things conservative being portrayed as way bigger than they really are. To wit, I looked up One Million Moms on Twitter, and the number of followers they have is 2,258. <laughs> That's how many my Aunt Marjorie has, and she's got one post, and it says, Is this thing working? <laughs> and million moms are not alone in pretending they're not alone. The Catholic League is another group constantly in the news because they also love to get freaked out about nonsense that would make even Pat Robertson go, Oh, for Christ's sakes, relax. <laughs> But just as there aren't a million moms in one million moms, there is no league in the Catholic League. It's one guy with a fax machine. 
Now, a recent study found that politicians in both parties consistently thought that their constituents were much more conservative than they actually were. And that's because there's a relatively small group of very shrill people devoted to and succeeding at convincing us that this is a much more conservative and religious nation than it is. Americans... Americans, for example, don't hate socialism. They just can't define it. <laughs> Even though it's kind of right in the name, Social Security. <laughs> kind of right in the name. Which even Tea Partiers do not want to cut. Same thing with Obamacare. As an idea, it's unpopular. But ask voters about the elements in it. They're all very popular. It's like saying, I hate pizza. I love tomato sauce and melted cheese on dough, but pizza, I hate that shit. <laughs> Same with guns. We found out this week that gun ownership is actually down in this country, way down. And yet the NRA, with just four million members, has a stranglehold on the gun policies in a nation of 300 million. This misreading of where the public really is explains why at this moment a cross-section of Republican politicians are at CPAC delivering a simple message to the right-wingers who keep losing them elections. And that message is, whatever you do, don't change. <laughs> Among the featured speakers at CPAC this year include Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan, Rick Santorum, Wayne LaPierre, Donald Trump, and Sarah Palin, a virtual who's who of what the fuck. And what? The convention is still going on, so I won't presume to know everything that's going to be said at this open mic from hell, but... Oh, screw it. Yes, I do know. I know exactly what will be said because it's exactly what they always say. They will get up one after another and say that they speak for the vast majority of real Americans who hate socialism and own guns and feel their values are under attack. Except they don't speak for the vast majority of Americans or a majority at all. They're just... They're just so loud they haven't noticed that America has moved on without them. They're like a nasty old man still bitching about the kids who keep hitting the ball into his yard. Even though those kids have grown up and moved away. Now, there's one guy who thinks, you know what, Republicans don't need to reach out. What they need to do, I hope you're sitting down, go further right. I didn't see this coming. And it turns out, that genius, Rush Limbaugh. The Republicans are just totally bamboozled right now. And they are entirely lacking in confidence, which 
is what happens to every political party after an election in which they think they got shellacked. They think they got landslided, and they didn't. But they're acting like they did, and they think they did. They think they've got to rebrand, and it's all predict. They've got to reach out to minorities. They've got to moderate their tone here and moderate their tone there. And that's not at all what they've got to do. All they have to do. The, the Republican Party lost because it's not conservative. It didn't get its base out in the 2012 election. Yeah, I know. These Republicans are not conservative enough. These Republicans who say the number one problem George W. Bush had was that he was too liberal are not conservative enough. Just go a little further. You know what it reminds me of? That Monty Python skit where there's an incredibly obese guy and they're saying, he's like, I'm really, really full. And they say, yeah, you have a water-thin wafer. Water-thin wafer. No. And then finally you can convince him to have the water-thin wafer and the guy explodes. <laughs> That's what Rush Limbaugh is doing here. No, no, just a water thin wafer going a little further to the right. A little further, and I think we got him. <laughs> Here he goes again. Focus groups described our party as narrow-minded, out of touch, and, quote, stuffy old men. The report minces no words in telling us that we have to be more inclusive. I agree. And as President Reagan said, our 80% friend is not... Our 20% enemy. What is that? We mean? can be true to our principles without being disrespectful to those who don't agree with 100% of them. I'm sorry, but we're not disrespectful to anybody. No. Look at what these focus groups have got these poor guys believing. It's not accepting that is true because it isn't. We can be true to our principles without being disrespectful to those who don't agree with us. When are we disrespectful? No, Rush disrespectful? Never, never. And uh, I love it earlier where he's dismissive of reaching out to minorities. Minorities? Now we got to worry about what they think? No, no. All of your focus groups and all of your polling and all of the voting is all wrong, all wrong. Just all you need is a right-wing water-thin wafer. <laughs> Just, you know what? Like The cliff is right here. Rush is like... One more step over. One more. You're going to be all right, Doug. Well, I'll seek it all. Sorry about that. I'm beginning to wonder, if I was Alex Jones, I might begin to believe that Rush Limbaugh is a liberal. <laughs> that he's actually helping to drive the Republican Party totally over the cliff so that they destroy themselves forever. It's uh, Patrick from Air Dallas. I was just going to leave a couple of uh, disparate comments. One uh, is uh, looking back at uh, some of your episodes on the uh, uh, gun control debate and the plus and minuses, uh, uh, and just tying in with a theme that you've used in the past about people not understanding where each other were coming from. On uh, Facebook, I have a friend who's fairly conservative and seemed incredulous that the media was reporting that a Bushmaster had been used in Newtown shooting because she just knew that wasn't true. 
and uh, her dad quickly got on Facebook and, and supplied a link to a very conservative blog, which basically discussed the fact that no Bushmaster had been used, knowing that they wouldn't accept any any source of media. I just basically provided the link to the uh, police department's report, which showed that a Bushmaster had been used. And uh, they just seemed kind of surprised because they were just positive that this guy had done it all with handguns. So they, they're coming at this basically getting their news from sources that is not getting their news from the real world. And I just wonder how much of uh, some of these uh, uh, conservative uh, uh, talking points and things happen, happen that way. They're just starting in a universe that has different axioms and truths than the one that, that we all seem uh, uh, that we're living in. The other uh, point was uh, people talking about staying in the uh, Catholic Church. I believe one of the callers had mentioned this. Uh, some people feel like that if they stay in the church, they'll be able to work for change from within. And to them, I would simply say that they do not understand that the way uh, uh, religious hierarchies work. Um, religious hierarchies work by enforcing the orthodoxy and if the lower members are out of line with that it is it is a sign that the lower orders need correction and education by which i mean the laity or the the people farther down the chain not that the church should re-examine its, its basic proposals and uh, you could just simply look and see how long it took before the church issued a pardon of Galileo for insisting that the sun was at the center of the solar system. I believe it was sometime in the 1990s, uh, approximately 300 years after he had been proved right by science. So if you're thinking that the church is going to accept birth control simply because it doesn't hurt anybody, it's just not going to happen. So anyway, I probably ran on too long, but those are my points. Hi, my name's Jack. I'm a feminist calling from Baltimore. Uh, I want to address Chris, the libertarian from Boston, who called in to defend counter-feminism. Hi, my name is uh, Chris. I'm calling from Massachusetts, Boston. Hey, guy. So one of the broader points you made at the end was that people need to be understanding of the other side in the discussion, and I completely agree. You're not going to be taken seriously if you're mocking someone you're talking to. I think that was supposed to be the point of your call, and you're absolutely right. Surprisingly, there's a whole lot else that we agree on mostly because you come across as being super feminist um, based on a few things that you said. For example, I've got nothing against other types of family roles. The counter-feminist position is not without merit. It's based on sort of recognizing the biological differences of, you know, men and women led to different gender roles, what is considered a traditional family role. That's not to say that I see anything against, you know, other type of family roles. If when you said that you meant, say, in a given household, the mother works full time or doesn't, and it's totally fine either way, that's feminist. Uh, that's actually hardcore feminist. If you also meant to say that a child can learn any given virtue, ambition, respect, manners, etc., from either a mother or a father, then that's feminist. That's actually radical feminism. But I'd urge you to stop using the term counter-feminism. By definition, the only thing that term can mean is bigoted. And you're clearly not bigoted. 
Feminism says that adult women shouldn't be considered property, literally. It says they should be given full citizenship with a right to vote, a right to have a credit card in their own name, uh, a right to legally own a home. If someone is against that, we don't need to invent a term like counter-feminist. We already have one. That's just a plain bigot. Now, does feminism say there's no difference between men and women? No. That is something that people say who are either misinformed or purposely lying to you. Feminism says women should be free to make decisions for themselves. The libertarians that I know say that this is pretty much what libertarianism is based on. For more info on what, what feminism actually is, I suggest Googling finally a Feminism 101 blog or picking up a guy's guide to feminism. Uh, and lastly, I want to stress that I wouldn't say all this if you sounded like some unreasonable bigot that wasn't worth taking seriously. But some people are just unreasonable bigots, and rather than taking them seriously, I think it's totally okay to mock them. Hey Jay, what's going on? It's Chris from Colorado Springs. Man, the voicemail section, um, aside from your activist call to action and the, and the lady asking about Radiolab, man, everybody just said something that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I, wa I want to try to go through them all because I think they're important. First of all, the, the first guy who called about how Christians will try to stop people from being gay out of love. Um, and I know the gentleman who called in said he didn't agree with that, but he said, well, Christians do that out of love. I think it's funny that Christians forget that Christ was a huge proponent of acceptance. They, they always want to throw in, I'm a Christian, I'm doing this out of love, when they completely forget about the accepting part, that Jesus' friends were prostitutes and he washed the feet of the poor. And, and he didn't try to change them. He tried to make them better people by their actions going forward. And so I think loving people and being Christian, but I'm totally against every part of your life, and I'm going to completely disregard acceptance. I think that's just a, a fallacy that people try to separate. They, they pick and choose the parts of Christianity that they think are great. Lastly, Citizen Radio, you know, Allison and Jamie were on there doing what they do and they were being satirical feminism ba, 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 sad buzzkill uh. about the opposition now for anybody to actually criticize citizen radio and their diligence and reporting on rape culture is is just ignorant and and i think uh, unprofessional they might he's a comedian they might do things that offend some people but they're reporting on how rape culture is in our country and how destructive it is and how much it needs to change and how we as individuals need to take personal responsibility to change that um, is unparalleled. And just because some of their tools happen to be satire doesn't mean that they are off the mark or that they are disingenuous or that they shouldn't be paid attention to. Um, anyway, I think I, I think I got that all together. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So I'm going to tell you know a little, I, it's not really a story, but uh, you re relate some information that I've said before on the show. But it's worth repeating because the situation comes up uh, you know, on a recurring basis. And it always has to do with Republicans who end up uh, cheating on their wives. You know, the family value Republicans cheat on their wives, destroy their families. It's you know the Mark Sanford, in, in, you know, in this case. And what I want to share is a little bit of insight I got from the most educational political cartoon I've ever read that really helped 
change my thinking on sort of I, I guess on the the seemingly forgiving nature of Republican uh, the the Republicans constituency who puts a lot of value in the concept of family values in the morality of their politicians you know they're very sort of judgmental of how people live their lives you know it, it comes out in you know how uh, you know women act and how you know whether homosexuality is okay and you know being a family man and all that it's very important but when a person like Mark Sanford cheats on his wife in a very public way uh, you know creates a big scandal he's able to come back into politics and somehow earn the forgiveness and and so for liberals i think generally speaking it is absolutely puzzling that that sort of hypocrisy is allowed to stand but i think i have some insight that helps clear this up so i've said it before but it bears repeating so this cartoon that i read it it's you know years ago it basically goes like this there's a republican and a donkey you won't be surprised to hear and they're both doing the high jump at the same time you know like track and field high jump and uh and, and so the the elephant is attempting to jump over a very very high bar you know it's up over his head and he's leaping for the sky and uh, and the donkey is jumping simultaneously but he's only jumping over a bar that's at about ankle height and the bar says moral standards. And uh, so the donkey clearly, you know, jumps over the bar very easily, uh, you know, it being at ankle height, while the elephant, leaping as high as he can, tips the bar. He doesn't quite make it. He, tip, you know, knocks the bar off, uh, off the high jump. And the donkey turns to the elephant and says, hypocrite. And so to be clear, I do not claim to understand all of the psychology behind why at least a segment of it, you know, generally speaking, the conservative, the, the you know, GOP uh, constituency tends in the direction of, of claiming that they have higher moral standards than liberals or progressives or Democrats do. Uh, I have some ideas as to why they might think that, but that's not really the point. The idea that at least some of them do have that idea definitely helps me understand why they can then be forgiving of Republicans who fall short on on their own claims of of their moral standards, because it, it, I you know I can totally understand how you know you can be more forgiving of a person who strives for excellence and falls short than to you know than for someone who does not strive you know for anything but mediocre and accomplishes those goals. Okay, great, you know you're mediocre. Congratulations, right? Like I get that, I really do. And so I think it's twisted. I think it's uh, sort of repulsive. I think that uh, you know conservatives and Republicans are much more likely to be in the mindset to judge others' lives. It's not something I'm interested in at all. I'm, I'm much more interested in the effectiveness of a politician than their personal life. It's just not something I care about. And so that they are so judgmental of people's lives – Gives them this this sense of seem. I mean, I'm, now I'm you know pop psychologizing an entire group of people, which is completely unfair. But you know, in in broad strokes, you know they they do they judge people's lives and um and, and make moral judgments on other people, which I think inevitably leads one to think 
that as as you judge other people, you then raise yourself up. And so you think, well, I you know I don't do what I don't like about that person, so now I'm better than them in that way. Or of course, the inverse is when they are actually judging the actions of other people, which they completely do themselves, which makes them hate themselves. And you know, then we all spin uh, down the drain as they you know legislate against their own best interest because of their self hatred. But that's a side issue. So anyways, I think that brings some light to the subject. It's really easy to fall in the trap of, of thinking that, you know, Republicans are so dumb that, you know, they, they get hoodwinked by these politicians who claim that, you know, they, they talk to God and they got forgiveness and, the, you know, the God of second chances and so on. And then they say, oh, well, well, he's good with God. So, you know, I'll forgive him too. You know, it's, it's not that simple by a long shot. It, you know, it really is that like, well, he's really trying. He's really striving to, you know, to lead the, the, the good life and be on the straight and narrow. But, you know, we all stumble and he seems like, uh, you know, he's conciliatory and so you know it's because they believe that you know these republican politicians are you know striving for such excellence so far above and beyond what democrats are even capable of that it puts them in a, in a position to be more forgiving and i think that's the important thing to understand at least the way i think i understand it i could be wrong if you have other thoughts, let me know. The number again, 202-999-3991. That's going to be it for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you're not already subscribed to the show, there are lots of ways to do it. Everything from iTunes or the standard RSS feed, both posted on the website, to a variety of great apps for smartphones, including Stitcher, which people love, and even a best-of-the-left app made specifically uh, for the show for iPhone and Android. Thanks also and especially to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right